Welcome to the Mad in America podcast, your source for science, psychiatry, and social justice. Our podcasts are made possible in part by a grant from the Thomas Job Fund. Hello, this is James, and welcome to the podcast. And this week we are discussing something that is close to my heart, and that's the impact of mental health-related podcasts on their listeners. I'm joined today by Dr. Sharon Lambert and Nisha O'Quilta from University College Cork in Ireland, who have studied the motivations and experiences of mental health-related podcast listeners. Their recent paper is entitled Podcasts as a Tool for Enhancing Mental Health Literacy, an Investigation of Mental Health-Related Podcasts, and it appears in the journal Mental Health and Prevention. In this interview, we discuss the importance of mental health literacy and ask if the need for honest mental health experience is being met from the recording studio rather than the consulting room. Sharon and Nisha, thank you both so much for joining me today for the Madden America podcast. And um, so excited to have you both to talk about a really interesting recent paper of yours entitled Podcasts as a Tool for Enhancing Mental Health Literacy. But if it's okay, before we get to talk about the paper, I just wondered if it's okay if I could ask you both to kind of introduce yourselves and maybe say a little bit about what you do at University College Cork. Yes, so my name is Sharon Lambert and I'm a psychologist and an academic researcher. So I am researching and teaching in applied psychology in UCC and my areas of interest are the relationship between psychological trauma, traumatic experiences in a very broad sense. So that includes things like poverty and social exclusion and how that impacts on thinking and learning and behaviour, but I'm particularly interested in how people design and deliver services so that everybody can use them. So socially excluded groups. And I suppose that came from working. I worked in the community with socially excluded groups. So that's where my research interests lie. Great. Thank you. My name is Nisha O'Quilta. I'm a recent graduate of uh, the Masters at University College Cork in Applied Psychology and Mental Health. And it was there that we started this piece of research. Uh, Sharon and I became interested in exploring some of the podcast listeners' experiences. And at the moment, I work for the health service executive here in Ireland as part of a primary care psychology team. Great. Thank you so much. Was there anything particular that made you interested in what podcast listening might be doing for people's knowledge and beliefs about mental disorders? I suppose it came about as a conversation. So I have appeared on on podcasts before that would be mental health related podcasts. And, and my experience of being a guest on those podcasts was that people would contact you afterwards and say, where are you speaking on such and such podcast? And, you know, I've been struggling a lot. And it was the first time that I'd ever connected, you know, maybe my social context, like poverty or difficult experience that I'd had. And I'd always thought that maybe there was just something fundamentally not good enough about me. So I thought, I suppose I, there was a bit of a sadness around that, that the most ex- socially excluded people are the ones who don't have access to that information. And then I saw a newspaper article that was criticizing podcasting. It said, well, you know, is this a good thing? You have all of these people online talking about mental health and people who have mental health issues listening. And is that a good idea? And I thought, well, 
my experience of it is that it has been, you know, positive, but but I don't know because we don't have the research. And and Nisha and I were chatting and he listens to a lot of podcasts. So we came up with the idea and um and went with it. Yeah, I think that for me as a student at the time as well, studying psychology, and I was also on placement working with families in the foster care system here. And what I took away from listening to podcasts during that time was hearing people's lived experiences, uh, people who may have experienced coming through the care system or people sharing their mental health stories. And that gave me an insight into you know, the therapeutic process and the the sort of the psychological world that you don't maybe don't necessarily get um, from books, for example. Uh, so that was, you know, from that sort of professional development point of view, I found podcasts to be really beneficial for me. That's great. Thank you both. And and so could we um, maybe talk a little bit about the approach you took for your paper? And, and if you could share some of the results, that would that would be really good. Yeah, so I suppose as Nisha said, you know, we had a great conversation about podcasts and what I was hearing about what people were getting for podcasts. And then Nisha brought this extra perspective. Well, actually, you know, it's not just, you know, people who are struggling who are gaining from it. It's also, you know, students potentially getting professional development from it. So kind of thinking about all of the different various groups that are listening to podcasts and what they might be getting. So Nisha had a look at the literature and he found that there was almost nothing there, really. So we created a survey and uh, uh, Nisha worked uh, really hard in getting that survey out. And um, over 722, there was more more than 722 responses, but by the time, you know, taken into account the ones that, that could be used, there was 722. What was interesting about the survey was every time I do a survey for research, I always put in this box at the end that says any other comments and no one ever fills it out. Or if they do, they might say, you know, that was a stupid effing survey or something like that. You know, they don't. It, it's never really that meaningful, to be honest. But I still persist and put in, in that little comment box, hoping that somebody will fill it in. And uh, we were really blown away, actually, by the the comments and the amount of them and the level of engagement with that particular section. And the quality of the information that people gave about their experiences. And I can talk about that in a minute. If, if Nisha, perhaps you might want to come in and talk about, you know, the survey findings and the statistical analysis that you did there. Yeah, so we asked participants about their demographic profile. So education, annual household income, etc., as well as their motivations uh, for listening to mental health podcasts. Um, their own personal experience with uh, mental health, whether they'd accessed mental health services before, um, and then finally, what their experiences of listening to mental health podcasts were. The, the results are quite interesting when you look at why people listen to podcasts. And we found that above all, it was to uh, out of a desire to learn about oneself and to learn about mental health more generally. Um, and when you do a piece of research like this you're always interested in what are the differences in people's responses maybe based on their demographic profile and one of the patterns that we began to identify was that for participants in lower educational brackets uh, i.e those who also have uh, 
tend to have poorer mental health literacy and knowledge of mental health reported um, using podcasts to learn about themselves and mental health much more than their more educated um, counterparts. And the, those in higher education brackets actually reported using podcasts for entertainment much more, which was quite interesting. And it's quite a promising result, I think, because it maybe shows that those who need it most are taking the most away from listening to podcasts. And that was a, a trend that sort of followed throughout the whole paper, um, even down to when we asked people about their experiences, um, those in the lower educational bracket, as well as I believe uh, those with lower annual household income, um, reported that their experiences were more based around learning new information and skills. When we asked them about their experiences, like I mentioned there, it was the the most rated statement was that they learn new information and skills. And after that, it was that podcasts help normalize problems and foster connections. What I see in that is, is you know, that normalization of problems is, is really a destigmatization and creating connections is maybe creating a validation and a sense of community amongst listeners and there's so much rich data within that within that qualitative piece that sort of really brings the statistics to life as well yeah because actually Isnisha was speaking there when he said you know that the highest rated item in the survey was for for new information because one of the criticisms that had been made about podcasts was is there a danger that people who have mental health related difficulties are sitting at home listening to podcasts and that they're they're doing some kind of therapy on themselves and not seeking professional support and is it dangerous or podcast dangerous that was that was one of the things so one of the items that was asked was you know do you use it to process difficult emotions and that was it was not an issue you know so that kind of ruled out that concern um and as Nisha said like the like the statistics are, are that he's outlined there are super interesting because what it did show is is that the people who are from areas of of are from lives of of lower socioeconomic status who do find it difficult to access services and who who are often shut out from education as well that they are gaining a huge amount in terms of mental health literacy they were starting to realize that these struggles that they were having, that lots of other people have them too, and that it did make them feel more connected. And especially, I suppose, it came up in the data around COVID. Lots of people were very isolated and that they felt quite connected to particular podcasters or some of their guests, because what people liked actually was a mix of guests. They liked a mix of hearing a professional uh, by education, speak about a particular difficulty or challenge. So we'll say, you know, psychological trauma and what does that mean? And then that somebody then with lived experience might be on the following week saying, I experienced a traumatic event. This is the impact it had on my life. And these are the different kinds of barriers that I had in terms of access and support. And then this is how I did get on my recovery journey. So that kind of, you know, real raw sense, actually, of the reality. 
because sometimes actually when we we present lived experience in professional environments is that we bring on people who are really successful in their recovery and it's often presented as this this is amazing and this is how easy it is and everything is great now and what you don't often hear in those contexts actually is the fact that it isn't a linear journey that there have been lots of setbacks and that there are lots of barriers and one of the things with the independent podcasts is is that people are I guess, not restricted in terms of being really honest about what worked and what didn't work, you know? So, yeah, so we the, the, that data, when we looked at that, it, it, it kind of came up with um, five overall themes and they were around accessibility and accessibility means a couple of different things and I'll come to that in a minute. Mental health literacy, some potential pitfalls, um, reassurance and lived experiences. So in terms of the accessibility, it really meant two different things. There was the practical element. So it's free. I can access it at any time that I want. And there aren't geographical barriers or financial barriers or transport barriers. But the second point around accessibility was actually the language that was used. So people are speaking to me in a way that I understand. And if I don't understand it, I can listen to that episode two or three times until I do understand it. That's so important, isn't it? And I, and I think it, it is a kind of theoretical part of the paper. But I think the paper says that if people attend a service, or they, you know, they might, but they might have a, a kind of a crisis response, and the medical professional might be just responding to their symptoms. But there's no time to talk about social factors and all the other things that might have led them there. But podcasts allow the time for people to absorb that information in their own comfort, in their own space, and in their own time big feature of that accessibility was the language being used. So because you often had lay people and people with lived experience, they'd say, well, I have experienced this and what that means is that. So there wasn't that assumed knowledge that perhaps sometimes happens in other consultations. And when people do go to appointments, they can be embarrassed to say, I don't understand what you're saying. Actually, I've never heard of what that word is. So they can just sometimes nod and agree and then leave and feel you know, particularly people in addiction feel a lot of shame, actually, a lot of shame and a lot of stigma. So so if you're there and somebody says something and and you don't know this, it's another thing to feel ashamed about. Um, so being able to access that information was really important. So, so one of them was potential pitfalls. Now, if you were being really academically rigorous, you wouldn't have included this theme at all. There was five criticisms. Yeah, five out of 722, where somebody said a potential negative. Nisha had said, look, you know, it has been said it's important to these people. There are people who say, well, there could be potential pitfalls. So, like, let's report the potential pitfalls. So one person said that they had um, obsessive compulsive disorder and that what had happened for them was the podcasts had become part of a compulsion that they had to listen to them a lot. And that person was a professional. They said that they were concerned about non-professionals being involved in podcasting. Um, but of course, there's that's their bias there in terms of their professional training. But what can you remember what the other ones are, Anisha? It was one or two around what you mentioned there about um, podcast hosts and guests not having professional 
expertise and then potentially the issues with podcasts not being regulated and the concerns of i guess individuals who were worried about misinformation uh, particularly in you know the context of mental health where it's important not you know not to spread misinformation essentially um, so there were valid concerns, and while there were a few, they were they were worth looking at and worth reporting because, you know, even though in our sample there was only five or six people, um, I'm sure that out there there are there are more who are concerned. You know, I think it was three people said that they were concerned about professionals not doing this stuff, and that you know it might be uh, a non-professional, whatever that is. One of the quotes was, I do think with a lack of access to professional services and increased availability of podcasts, there's a risk that people can take a podcast host's advice as seriously as they would take a healthcare professional's advice. So I suppose the problem there is assuming that the healthcare professional's advice is always right all of the time, and sometimes it's not. But actually, the data did not indicate that that's what was happening. What it did indicate, actually, was that listening to podcasts wasn't making people not look for help in various different places and spaces. It actually was increasing help-seeking behavior. You know, and we have a quote in here, I'm less hard on myself. Podcasts have encouraged me to open up and speak about my issues. In the paper, it says that research has indicated that mental health literacy is positively associated with help-seeking behaviours and negatively associated with stigma, shame and negative attitudes towards mental health. And that's so incredibly important, isn't it? Because podcasts, I, I guess, give a, a kind of non-medical space for people to discuss really uncomfortable and difficult thoughts and feelings without necessarily feeling that things have to be labelled from a medical standpoint. But they can talk in purely human terms, can't they? So I can see how mental health literacy might seem like it's a, a medicalized thing but it, it isn't actually it's actually reducing stigma and making people more likely to seek help if they need it yeah there's a lovely quote here from one of the participants and it says well i've suffered from depression for 10 years now i sometimes still struggle to describe it to family and friends listening to peers share their journeys has helped me give both the language and the confidence to speak more about my lived experience I mean, we could be here for hours, James, reading out some of the quotes because they were just so powerful. And what you mentioned there, Sharon, about the lived experiences, I think this and this kind of ties into people questioning, you know, the expertise of podcast guests. And I think the addiction services know this, have known this for a long time, which is that even though they might not have professional qualifications, people with lived experiences or peer support workers can be just as valuable to the therapeutic and the recovery process as professionals. And um, in addiction recovery programs, peer support is a huge part of it. What we found was that our participants who, who were listening to lived experiences were getting a sense sometimes of hope and sometimes of connection and sometimes of community when they hear somebody and I and it's a really important aspect of that as well is that they hear somebody who looks like them or who sounds like them or maybe is from the same socioeconomic background as them and when they hear that person share a story that resonates with them that has a therapeutic power in and of itself 
Yeah, absolutely. That, that's that's so important. And and you mentioned earlier, you know, that the, the you know the, there are virtually no barriers to accessing these other. So they you know they're easy for people to get hold of and easy to consume in a time that that kind of matters for them. And they can listen multiple times. Or if they're struggling in the middle of the night, there's somebody comforting there that they can listen to. The point about misinformation I find really interesting because, of course, as we know in Madden America, there are examples out there of professionally produced podcasts where, you know, there is still misinformation going on. You know, maybe they're talking about chemical imbalances or maybe they're talking about areas of mental health as if it's settled science when it it, it isn't really. And, you know, equally on the other side, you know, we are aware that there are paid influences out there that, you know, might be covertly kind of funded by the pharmaceuticals or whatever. So, you know, I, I guess misinformation is a concern, but part of me also thinks that talking about the full range of experiences and possibly considering what might or might not be misinformation and the freedom of a podcast as a platform to do that is probably quite a healthy thing too isn't it yeah because if we think about human beings as biopsychosocial beings so we exist within social contexts i do believe that it's shifting and changing in psychology not as fast as probably some people would like but there is a more of an increasing understanding of of social context and, for example, how, you know, poverty as a driver for mental distress um, and, you know, how should that be responded to? So, you know, that's not a, a, a psychological disorder. It is somebody who is deeply distressed because they are living in, in a really difficult situation and, you know, maybe at risk of homelessness or in homelessness. So their distress is appropriate for the situation that they're in. So, so that conversation is happening. It's shifting, it's changing. I know folks in Madden America have been talking about it for a very long time and you would would prefer if those conversations were happening faster. <laughs> but to kind of bring it back to the podcast is that people are interfacing with various different disciplines or models of understanding of mental health. And I know that you will say, we'll say in Madden America, you know, that there are particular diagnoses that are not helpful. And, and I would agree with you on, on lots of that. And then sometimes I, I worry that about, you know, because there are people who, who receive a diagnosis and for them, it's a relief. And then so then I think for me as a psychologist, it's, you, I have to be really careful that you don't come along and say, well, that thing that you you have, there's this big group of people who don't believe that that exists, you know, so, and that can be quite devastating. So, so how you can manage that in, in, in a way that is helpful is by conversations around different perspectives. So, you know, some people would have a very biological understanding of mental health. Some people would have a very psychological understanding of mental health. I would probably fall down more on the, the social understanding of mental health, but I need to understand all of them actually. And I think for people who might be having a difficulty, once they start to improve their own mental health literacy by access to this information, then what they do is they start to, you know, if they've had limited access to education as well, they start to say, I'm learning a lot and I actually want to learn more. So then they will start to listen to different perspectives and they will learn about things that you might not have learned about before, like the social determinants of health. And how poverty is one of the biggest predictors of addiction and, and poor mental health. So I think that podcasts do create that space. I do think that that what they are doing, all of the different ones, is saying, 
here are a host of multiple different perspectives. And then sometimes we underestimate people's ability to be able to sit back and go, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought about it like that. Where does that fit with me? And for me, that's what matters is what do you need in order to go on your your journey, your recovery journey? What works for you? Yeah, absolutely. They, they, they can find experiences that resonate with their own experience, can't they? You know, which is which is so important to feel not isolated and to feel connected and to, you know, to, for people to feel, oh, well, are, there are people out there who have had broadly similar experiences and it was interesting to learn how they thought about it or dealt with it or haven't dealt with it or whatever else. So, you know, that, that kind of menu approach of having a range of views to choose from is, is so important, I feel. On that piece about feeling isolated like you mentioned james i did a quick control f on the qualitative data earlier today and the words not alone together come up over 120 times and that was one of the major takeaways um under the this sort of qualitative theme of reassurance and validation was this sense of feeling not alone uh, not isolated in 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 your mental health issues or whatever struggle and w- people kept saying things like i've realized that everybody struggles or i've developed a sort of compassion for myself and others because i've been able to understand you know my struggles in the context of my maybe of my past experiences or something like that i couldn't help but identify myself with so much written in the paper firstly as someone who runs a podcast but secondly someone who you know have had mental health struggles myself and I got into podcasting it precisely because I felt alone and disconnected and couldn't easily leave the house I really do value I think the space that podcasts can fill that that professionals couldn't do even if they wanted to you know they wouldn't have the time available or the resource available to do that so you know, it's a, a brilliant and fascinating piece of work that you've, you've both done together and w- with your co-authors. And, uh, you know, I wondered if you'd had any thoughts about are there further developments to this work? Is there more that could be done with looking at the role of podcasts in helping people perhaps come to terms with their thoughts, knowledge and beliefs about mental disorders? Currently, I have a master's student who is looking at the role of podcasts in probation clients. So these are people who are in difficulty with the criminal justice system. So where that came from actually was because of an Irish-based podcast called The Two Norries. And the hosts of The Two Norries are both in recovery from addiction, but have had significant experience with the criminal justice system, including periods of imprisonment. And like you, James, during their podcast emerged, actually during the first lockdown, because the support structures that were available to them to maintain their recovery were gone. So they were worried about themselves and they were worried about their community because they're from an area of socioeconomic deprivation. And they had this idea to set up a podcast, which they did in in Timmy's shed, in his back garden. So, but what what happened then was there were no visits allowed into the prisons. So the prison service in Ireland started playing the two Norries podcast into the cells. And then the psychology service um, in the Irish prison service started to to notice that, you know, people were, were developing a language that they probably wouldn't have gotten if you gave them something to read, you know, a more formal 
produced document from from a health service, for example. And they were saying, this is really interesting because people who are in custody now are coming, looking for the psychology service. And they're saying, you know, using words um, like, you know, I experienced this difficulty and it was a trauma and it might be linked to my addiction and other social problems that I'm having. So, so Dr. Emma Regan from the Irish Prison Service liaised a lot and continues to liaise with, with the Tunaris around the impact that's, that's having in the prison service. So then that led me to thinking about, you know, people when they've left custody and they're now, you know, linking with a probation officer. So my current master's student, Sally Condon, um, has interviewed probation officers about do they think podcasts are a useful tool for probation officers. So she's she's just finished her analysis and she's writing up her dissertation. So so it's not it's not published yet. It has to, to go through the whole university process. But but what was really interesting was it is really similar to Nisha's findings. And and she deliberately didn't read Nisha's papers in case it would impact you know how she might think about themes. So when she came to me and she said these are the themes that have come from the data, the data, I was like, that's so interesting because they're the themes very similar to the themes that come from Nisha's paper. So I suppose primarily what they noticed, probation officers, were that people who were struggling with, with mental health and addiction difficulties, and that was leading them to involvement with the criminal justice system, that they were turning up to meetings and they were having entirely different conversations now. So the, the chaos that they were experiencing in their personal lives was starting to make sense. And once they had access to information, then it became this thing that was in their awareness and that they could do something with. Something that we saw reflected in the results was clinicians and healthcare professionals who were reporting using podcasts in their in in whatever healthcare setting they're in or using them as resources for clients. Um, so, and that's something that's reflected in the literature as well, not to a, a large extent, but we discussed that and feel that there would be a lot of value in speaking to professionals as well as speaking to people like yourself, uh, podcast creators, to get their perspective and experience on that. Um, and I think that would really that would give uh, you know another side to to this research as well which i think would be really meaningful the other thing that we felt would be very valuable is in some way getting a like a quantitative measure of people's of the of the impact of uh, listening to mental health podcasts maybe measuring mental health literacy using a scale that would be like a, a sort of experimental design i guess something you know maybe down the road fantastic thank you and and kind of you know b before we come to the end of this you know sharon you mentioned the comment box you put at the end of the survey you know it's very important for us to do that on podcast too so you know was there anything else related to the paper that you think it's important that we should share with the listeners i suppose the most important thing that we heard was you know for the vast majority exceptionally high number of people that podcasts are a positive thing, that they are positive in terms of being available. The language that's being used is understandable. The varying experiences and perspectives that people are exposed to.
so that it's not just one particular perspective or one model or one life experience, that it's a whole vast range of all of the different things that can go on in this space. And then that that is contributing to the development of mental health literacy. And, and knowledge is power and people can make decisions for themselves when they have access to knowledge. And people are feeling less alone. They're feeling more connected. Their experiences are more normalized. It is decreasing stigma. It is increasing help-seeking behavior. And they are just an incredible resource for people. The, you know, 99.9% of, of the experiences are, are just incredibly uh, positive. And I see a quote that's just popped up in, in, in front of me there. It demystifies mental health, emotional issues. I learned so much about myself and others. I find it's helpful at building empathy when you hear about other people's struggles and stories. So, so not only did people increase their own compassion towards themselves, they increased their empathy for others. And that's important too, that when we increase our self-compassion for ourselves, that we also have empathy for others because that's what will make you a happy, healthy human being is being able to love yourself and to love others. Well, thank you both. I'm so pleased to be able to talk to you both about this because to have podcasts for mental health validated in this way is really important. And, you know, the, the sense of connection they bring, the demystification that goes on, you know, the, the kind of discussion around the margins of what you might hear in a, a therapy appointment or a, you know, appointment with a professional, you know, the fact that you can broaden your understanding by listening to a range of experiences is, is so important. And it's, uh, genuinely a, a fascinating piece of work and you know thank you both so much for doing it and for being willing to join me to talk about it thank you james thanks so much for having us on well i just want to thank sharon and nisha so much for being with us to talk about their work you can find a link to their paper in the write-up of this interview on maddenamerica.com and if you are a regular listener to podcasts discussing mental health that you find helpful, do share them with others on social media as it really helps to broaden an important conversation. Okay, so as always, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, take care. Thank you for listening to the Madden America podcast. For more news, views and updates, visit maddenamerica.com.